The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hey everybody, welcome to the Winemakers. I'm John Myers, and of course I'm sitting across from Sam Katuri with his new Dead and Company t-shirt. I like that, Sam. Yeah, sweet. Looking good. The Brian Casey. my uh, work uniform, John. A very special, <laughs> special guest. Someone that I met a couple of years ago, Bibiana Gonzalez-Rave uh, from Columbia, and the Winemaker of the Year 2015, San Francisco Chronicle. Amazing. And we well, we're really we're still oh. stepping our game up, right? We days. have we're doing it right, man. We're doing it right. We've uh, so we've interviewed now at least two of the winemakers of the Chronicle yeah. winemaker. We got because yeah. because Morgan was co winemaker of the year uh, with Tegan Passalog, probably the year after Morgan you, right? Peterson, Morgan Twain, Peterson? Morgan yes, <laughs> sorry, Morgan Twain Peterson, <laughs> Mo. Sometimes I just call him Mo. There you go. So that that we're uh, well, welcome. Good on us, Thank Brian. Thank you. I know. Okay. And how many women actually have won that award? I think maybe Plenty I think in the last thirty the, years, the, maybe the are, second. I think there I are three or four. I looked yeah. it up earlier, but I will again. And definitely no uh, Colombian-born. Definitely not Colombian-born. <laughs> that I'm sure. Uh, right. Well, uh, why don't you just kind of. Introduce yourself a little bit to people who who maybe didn't read that article in 2015 or aren't aren't familiar with the wines that you've made, the wines you're making now. Just kind of the brief before we dive deep, the sort of the brief uh, 10,000 foot view on uh, on Bibiana. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, I'm originally from Colombia. I was born and raised in Medellin, which is a uh, Quite a known uh, city yeah. from Colombia. Not known for its wine. Right. Yeah. Uh, we are actually very close to the equator. Uh-huh. So there is really a, a big challenge to produce grapes to make wine. And at the age of 14, I start uh, randomly saying I want to make wine. Uh, so everybody was Just like, oh, that's so cute. a random decision, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost like saying you want to be an astronaut in Colombia. <laughs> um, and I, I was really just fascinated by wine and really wanted to make it, to make the product, not just to drink it or to talk about it. And in 2000, or just before 2000, I um, finally moved to France to study winemaking. I went to the Lycée d'Agriculture uh, d'Angoulême in cognac, and I got a degree of what they call a BTS, VTNO, which is a um, degree in viticulture and enology. Uh, that is pretty common when you own a vineyard, own a winery in France to really take over at a very mm, young right, age. Right. And, to, and to be in control of both sides. Both sides, right. yeah. So very important, um, and I don't know how much you have talked about it on your podcast, but it's very common in France when you're a family-owned business that you you really need to know everything about the vineyard and then the winemaking. And it's really almost, in general, the same person that is right. taking care of both. It, 
it's the same way here when it's a privately owned winery. If it's, well, owned, yeah, if it's, it's owned by Constellation, Not no. necessarily, though, well, John. Not at all. There's a lot of privately owned wineries that we work for, and we're in control on the vineyard side. I mean, there's, oh, okay. there's right. you know, budgetary control and, and direction, but... Um, you know, and then even if that person, you know, the owner of the vineyard and the winery is the winemaker, which is sometimes not always, um, most of the time it's separate. It's, so it's separate. Totally and, and right. you know, that's why vineyard, man, you know, vineyard management companies like enterprise vineyards don't necessarily exist, uh, in the Are same there way. any in France? I'm, you know, I'm sure that, I'm sure that there's it's something very like that, rare. but very rare. When yeah. I was there almost 20 years ago, it sounds, oh, wow. I'm, no. I'm pretty <laughs> old, um, <laughs> When I was there studying, you never hear about this subcontracting on anything. You know, you mm. don't talk about bottling lines that you can subcontract. You do everything in-house with family members or it's people that is hired to really work all year round on your vineyards and the winery. So I did that uh, in Angoulême. But while I was studying in Cognac, I work in Cotroti. I was fascinated by Syrah from Cotroti. One of our favorite places. So that was really my first experience on the vineyards. So I chose the most difficult vineyards right. to farm. You could, the only place that's steeper is like maybe the Mosul or something. You're, Actually, you're climbing up and down the hills of Koroti. You are yeah. right. And I was working for a very small property uh, that today is one of the most famous Koroti producers, which is Michel and Stefano J. Yeah. And Stefano J and I were are the same age, almost yeah. the same age, and he was my first boss when I didn't know anything about the wine industry. And I also work in Alsace. So I was working in Cognac, studying in Cognac, but working on the east part of France, uh, on the Rhone Valley and So Alsace. the school was in Cognac, but like you'd go out and work at vineyards and wineries in different regions. Yeah, so right. one of the things that I love about this degree of viticulture and enology is extremely practical. And, you know, sometimes I complain that we lack that a little bit in the U.S. because we were going through school. It's extremely demanding, but you have to have, like, almost six months each year of practice. So you either do it during, during the holidays, during your vacation, but it's obligatory to do pruning training, to do the whole growing season training, so you really are on the vines doing the job, and then a winemaking right. uh, experience. And I, uh, after that, I graduated uh, from Cognac, and I went to the University of Bordeaux, and I got my degree of phenology from the University of Bordeaux. I just love the Bordeaux. sound of that. I went to the University of Bordeaux. Yes. <laughs> well, like, can we can we actually rewind this back a little bit? Yeah, because that's, that's so, something so, that we just glossed over. <laughs> no, this is a big thing. So you have a girl growing up in Medellin, Colombia, that, that the culture is, there's not really a wine culture. Mm -hmm. You're drinking uh, beer and aguardiente. Aguardiente and right? juice. Right. So a lot of fruity juice is so sweet. Yeah. So, so Never even water on the table. <laughs> yeah, and how, so how do you... Do you, you know, how do you first get exposed to wine? And then how does your family um, uh, come to grips with the fact that you want to make wine and, and you're going to take off uh, and leave the country? Well, experience with wine was so minimal. And I think I just got fascinated by seeing probably the only bottle of wine you would see on a restaurant on a shelf because people would not order them. And sometimes I would ask my dad, Colombia is not was not that strict with drinking age. Right. So I would just ask my dad if he could get a half bottle and he would let me taste a little bit of wine. And I just, I don't know why, I just kept saying, I want to make wine, I want to make wine. 
And I went to the university in Colombia for four years before I left Colombia. Uh, so I did two years of chemical engineering, trying to get into organic chemistry to make wine. Uh, and then I realized chemistry and engineering is not about organic <laughs> <laughs> or farming or <clears throat> uh, too much about fermentation. And then I went to study business for two years. And after that, I was just only talking about wine in Colombia, but really zero exposure. I never saw a vineyard before I went to France. See, now that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, what, were, what would people say to you when you were a, a kid growing up in Medellin and then as a, a college student when you growing up in Colombia and you say you want to make wine, you, you have this fascin. What were people's, like, you know, not just your parents, but like in your social, what were people just thought you were crazy? Were crazy. People okay. would just laugh on my face and be like, ah. <laughs> and I would be like, no, really, I, I want to be an enologist because in Colombia, you know, you right. do the translation is enologo. Right. And it's very close to ethnology, which right. is the study of insects. So everybody say, oh, oh, so you want to study right. insects? I'm like, no. There's a lot of bugs in Colombia. Enology. Right? <laughs> and people would not even understand the word. The word didn't right. exist on right. our vocabulary. Huh. So when I uh, told my parents, I found a friend that was a teacher at the university that told me, I know the owner of a winery in Chile if you want to go and work there. Hmm. So I came home and I said, mom, I'm going to Chile to work at a winery. <laughs> she said. And my mom was like, absolutely not. We have been paying four years of university. I mean, that was like tragedy. And then she has always been fascinated by Europe and France. And she said, well, why don't you think about going to France? So that was like January of the year uh, in Colombia. And I wrote to every single school in France. I contacted the embassy in Colombia. And they say, okay, if you want to make wine, you need to do a BTS with, you know. <clears throat> and then I applied to 11 schools. And you and got turned down by every one of them, Every single one. Yeah. So I got turned down by every single huh. school. And I started getting all these letters, March, April, May. And I just say, you know what? I'm just going to go to France and I'm going to go and visit them. Go and, do it, yeah. And I, that's what I did. I had a friend that was living in Paris. Um, and then my mom was super excited. My father, the time I explained to my dad that I was going to do it, he said, like, no, you're not going. And um, I don't know if you know, but there is a very famous uh, car uh, driver called Montoya, Juan Pablo Montoya. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. So he used to John's be on Formula One, yeah. and yeah, and he, he still runs a lot or drives a lot in the U.S. And my father was a big fan of him, big fan. So then I turned to my dad and said, like, so what do you think Juan Pablo Montoya's father said when he told him at age of five, I think he was age of five, that he wanted to be a, a race car driver. A race car yeah, driver. And then my father looked at me. And actually, his father uh, used the house mortgage to pay Juan Pablo Montoya's education to wow. become should, a... Should I wear my uh, Montoya Indy uh, shirt you have it? to lunch? I should <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah. uh, I convinced my father very easily Yeah, after well that. played, by the way. Yeah, that was Thank you. Tugging at the heart. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, it was re it's, it's been really extraordinary because when I left Colombia almost 20 years ago, people would not drink wine right. unless you were really such a... I don't know. Wealthy. Wealthy 
family that would go to Europe on their trips and would drink wine. Right. And now you go to Colombia 20 years after I departed when people didn't even understand the word enology and you see a bottle of wine on every single table right. in a restaurant. There you go. And that is That's amazing. progress, yeah. man. That That's is. amazing. Worldwide progress. And then jump forward to how the hell do you end up at Aubryon? Yes, that's a pretty cool story. Um, as I told you before, I was very focused on Syrah and Burgundy and small family-owned properties where you really get to do all of this work. And when I came to Bordeaux, to the University of Bordeaux, Bordeaux is a completely different animal. I mean, yeah. it's as different as Sonoma, Napa, and even probably way more different. Yeah. So there is a lot of yeah. this tradition in Bordeaux. You know, it's a lot of bureaucracy and the chateaus are real chateaus that were owned by bureaucracy. Hundreds and, of years. Yeah. Of and everybody history. wears suits yeah. and ties. Right. And, yeah. and uh, when I went to the University of Bordeaux, I really wanted to do my thesis about oxygen influence in wine. In all yeah, the you explain what that means. So when you're making wine, it's like living through your life, right? We are exposed to oxygen every day. And unfortunately, we get older because of oxygen, right? Our cells die and we are getting, I don't want to go into there, but uh, oxygen makes your skin to get older. And We're oxidizing. We are oxidizing. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Sam, thank you. Uh, so stop breathing out there. It's just, if you stop breathing, you'll be fine. <laughs> well, you mean, you'll uh, live forever. <laughs> no more breathing. Go. Wait, that's the good part of the oxygen. Yeah, right. We that's need it. <laughs> uh, but making wine is an alive product, right? And that's why we talk so much about wine and how wine opens in the glass and how much wine changed in bottle and over years of cellaring is because there is a very small change of the wine every day through micro impact of oxygen. But when you are making wine, what happens is you have grapes, like, like the way you go to the supermarket. I mean, they are very different, but they are grapes intact, right? All the juice is inside. As soon as you break a fruit, any fruit, they start oxidizing, like apples are the best example, right? They become brown, and people call it, oh, this is oxidized. So oxygen is affecting everything on the fruit. It's affecting everything during the fermentation process. It affects it when you are aging the wine at the cellar, when you bottle, when you open the wine, when you drink it. Yeah. It's changing constantly. So I was really interested in seeing on red wines, what was the impact on oxygen? And we are just talking more scientific level because you you can measure the oxygen on the wine you can we have many methods and instruments to measure this so i really wanted to do that and i was very fortunate when i went to bordeaux there were some of the most classic teachers that had been teaching a new the new enology uh, around the world and one of them is monsieur glory uh, who passed away in 2004 i think and he was really focused on tannins anthocyanins, uh, which are all of these antioxidants in wine. And he told me that Aubryon was going to do an oxygen study the year I needed to start my thesis. So I said, like, oh, cool. But I didn't know what was Aubryon. Right. Never heard the name before. There never wasn't a really lot of uh, first growth Bordeaux on tables in <laughs> Colombia growing up, I would imagine. Not too many. Yeah. And even when I was in <laughs> France, I was just so focused in... Burgundy mm, and right. Rhone Valley. So Bordeaux and Cognac is still very close to Bordeaux, but I wasn't drinking Bordeaux wines. 
at all. Um, so I got to this interview with the winemaker at Aubryon, which they are called Serum Masters in France, not really winemakers. And I sit with him, I said like, oh, so I'm here because we are doing this uh, study about oxygen. He's like, oh no, we are not doing that. I'm like, oh, but Monsieur Glory told me that you are doing this. He's like, no, we are not gonna do that study this year. I'm like, oh, okay, well, thank you. And I'm standing up to leave the interview. And then he asked me like, well, why don't you let me tell you a little bit about Aubryon? And I didn't know anything about Aubryon, so I'm like, oh, no, don't worry. <laughs> I just really wanna do this research and that's really what I'm interested on. And then he had to really like almost sit me down and he started talking to me about Aubryon. And after an hour of an interview, I left the place. I still didn't understand the significance of Aubryon in the world of wine. I mean, it's one of the you top... You thought it was a nice place. <laughs> just a beautiful okay, it was chateau. Nice. His yeah. suit was really well cut. Yeah. <laughs> Very clean. <laughs> Very clean. <laughs> I know. And he's probably one of the top best five wines in the world. And then I left and I go home. Um, and I'm with my boyfriend at the time, a French cognac producer... And I said, like, oh, they are not doing the oxygen uh, study. Like, i just so disappointed. And he's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, no, I just wanted to leave. I just really want to do And he's like, Bibiana, it's Aubryon. It's yeah. Chateau Aubryon. They have to take you. You have to work there. And I was like, oh, oops. <laughs> oops. Um, and then they contacted me. And they, they have really a lot of requirements. It's like they really want the students to be on their top uh, kind of on the top of the class. So they, they, and they are very connected to the university. So they ask all the references about you as a student. And they offer me the internship. And we ended up doing an wow. internship. And <laughs> Sam is going to love this. My thesis was all about Miller and Dash, which right. is the small berries on Cabernet and Merlot. But we also have it on Chardonnay or Wenti yeah. and Pinot Noir grapes. So we just did a crazy research to really understand the composition of small berries as well as how that impacts the quality of the wines and why they Talking were about getting... like seedless berries? And, okay. Yes. So the seedless berries compared to a normal berry that is sizing bigger because it has the seeds and the seeds carry the hormones of the fruit. Uh, and the hormones, like humans, drive the evolution of the fruit to become from a vegetative part of the vine to a fruit part of the vine. Right. And sorry if I'm going too technical here. No, 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 that's perfect. And so it, when you accept an internship, what does that mean financially? Do they, do they actually pay you? Oh, no. Well, <laughs> actually, I should not say no. Sorry, I take it back. Aubryon was my only paid internship. It was, it's very little. It was right. very little. And you, you get, get a paid barrel, with wine. Brian. You get a barrel of Aubryon. Oh, no and way. And you just have to figure out what to There's do with no it. no way. You but maybe she didn't like Cabernet. She was looking for some Syrah. gave it so, to her boyfriend. So wait a minute. How are, you, how are you actually... So, you know, your family doesn't have a lot of money. They're not sending money to you in France. You, you do have a boyfriend who's a cognac maker. Maybe he's making a little scratch on the side, right? And so how are you, how are you su yeah, my, supporting my, yourself yeah. while you're working there? So, you know, the interesting thing in France is... When I was there, I didn't have to pay any schooling because it was a national university. Mm. So it's, you know, the philosophy of France, education, is education for everybody. And maybe it's changed in the last 20 years, but I didn't have to pay for the university. It was like a super small fee. And actually, I was even being supported a little bit by the government to pay my housing. Wow. 
So, See, now why don't we do that here? I worked for the summer, so I was able to do a little bit of... I can't believe the French government sort of, uh, you know, supporting financially up and coming young winemakers and enologists. What a great program. Well, it's part of their culture. Yeah. That's not so much part of ours. Beer is our culture. We probably couldn't get uh, anybody currently in charge of our federal government to do something like that, but uh, maybe we could do something in California. I mean, you know, how do people go from being, you know, from a place where wine isn't on the table to being a top winemaker, you know, without without some without resources you know, without yeah. resources I yeah, mean, exactly with the intention but not right. with the economic resources right. yeah. I, I mean clearly I you've studied fortunate. your ass off yes I did <laughs> and I was studying with guys like the current winemaker at Petrus Olivier Berret so everybody knows in the class mm-hmm. uh, Olivier is going to take from his dad and he totally deserved it but uh, he probably didn't have to study as hard as right, right. Uh, I had to. A couple but, you more know, nights at the bar for... Maybe. <laughs> I would not uh, say yes or not, but uh, I just That's know... Smart. They might be listening. They are listening. <laughs> for me, it was... Um, I did so much just to be there. So my passion is to make wine, and I just... Every day, I just had to learn French. I didn't know any French when I went to France. And I just wow. love it. And I don't think I could do any of that today at my age. But uh, at that time, it just seemed I didn't even think obvious. about that part of it. You come from Colombia, you speak Spanish, you go to France, you have to learn French and then learn how to make wine. Mm-hmm. Well, and then she yeah. wants to be hands-on. So she's telling the people at Oprion, yeah, I really want to be hands-on and work <laughs> with the grapes. I and know. Do they even let you touch the grapes at that point? So because of my thesis... Uh, Every all the fruit that was used for my research was processed by hand. The so small we, berry research. Yes. Okay. So we designed. So, so I you didn't do the oxidation thesis. No, okay. I didn't. Because they weren't I, doing the study. I gave up okay. on that one. Um, and then we just really designed this kind of grid that had that, a diameter that I researched. Uh, there was not too many research at the time. There was a research in 1906 by Viala, a searcher. And that was the only research we found on the impact on the quality of wine from small berries. So we kind of look at that research. I look at diameters, and we created this grid. It wasn't like a sump, like a pump-over sump. Mm -hmm. But we created the sump at the diameter to separate the berries. So we had to de-steam by hand. I think we did like two to three tons of fruit. You de-stemmed three tons of fruit by By hand? By hand. It took us three days, 30 people, and they (laughs) couldn't break the berry. Right. Because we wanted to preserve. So you're using kids. You're using people under People with really small hands. (laughs) No, not in France. Uh, But yeah, it was, they joke with me because they keep saying that I was the most expensive research. However, they should not complain because. Because it's hot brown. It probably was paid with one case of Aubryon. Right, exactly. Um, But yeah, it was, you know, it's fascinating what you can go through on a place with so much history, you know. And it was a very humbling process. Um, it's all about the fruit. It's all about the vineyard. It's all mm. about what you are doing every day to preserve the history of a place you work yeah. with. And Sam, I think you can relate a lot to that with your father uh, mentoring you in yeah. your career. And I mean, you know, just being able to dig into something, you know, even if it's, you know, through the course of one harvest to dig into 
the fruit at that kind of level and, and um, to be able to pay that much attention. And 20 years ago, you know, nowadays with a, with an optical sorter, they're, they're, they're destemming that stuff. And those little tiny berries are all ending up in a, in a waste pile somewhere. Exactly. And it's yeah. not even like it's, it's so, you know, um, I, to be able to dig into a place where they've been making wine for as long as they have, where they've been farming those vineyards for as long as they have, and then sort of add a layer of, of knowledge and understanding there. I mean, you know, people would pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for that kind of knowledge. I mean, let alone like whatever, whether it's a paid internship or not. I mean, um, you know, the, you, you obviously can you know <laughs> have a have a great career in th- with that kind of knowledge. I mean, well, what was the result uh, of the study? So the result was first virus really in- influenced the set of the fruit. Virus, so the, okay. The virus. Yeah. yeah. So the more virus, uh, there is a virus in France that is called uh, Cornouet. and if you have ever been in France and you go to vineyards on the summer, it looks like yellow leaves it's very easy to see and the vines don't don't grow so it's really affecting the set of the fruit and then we realized that these small berries were two to three weeks behind on everything so that means when you have a cluster with normal berries and little berries the normal berry was three weeks in advance Mm -hmm. on maturity but so more sugar more develop tannins the whole thing so it's more aromatics and develop tannins right. because when you look at the fruit the color and it's the ratio is going to be so much more color because they are very small berries so you have little juice oh, and a lot of right. skin right. but yeah, interesting the evolution of biosynthesis and i'm gonna go too technical now on a berry is such as the vines are basically uh, saccharose like sugar and then the sugar become acids. The acids become amino acids. The amino acids become phenolic compounds and aromatic compounds. So you have to go through all of this process to reach aromatic maturity and phenolic maturity. And when you are not on the perfect year, perfect balance, perfect everything, that's what we are all struggling right now in the world is when do you decide to pick, right? right. And then we talk all the time about this moment where winemakers decide to put the fruit out of the vine. So at it, it midnight was under the and, moon. And yeah, and, you know, um, and it's something that we talk about a lot and it's been getting some play lately yeah. is, is this whole concept of, of hanging with integrity and, and dappled sunlight, you right. know, the lazy dog people in Mosul are doing that. Um, and, and the amount of fruit that we drop, um, what we're, what we're trying to do is help the vine along in this process that the Bibiana is, is describing. And, you know, obviously I, I the science and the, the chemistry about it is way above, you know, my level of anything. But, um, the whole idea is when, you know, the, that cluster is hanging there in perfect balance without anything around it and just the right amount of sunlight. Exactly. It, it's in the perfect yeah. uh, environment to make as much of those sugars into and, you know, take along that that process into to aromatic maturity. And that's why, you know, when we talk about picking grapes and when we pick the grapes, um, the sugar level is is 
has nothing to do with with ripeness. Sugar is a is a as a result of ripeness. An but, offshoot, yeah. But sugar level and and ripeness are are mutually exclusive. The the ripeness of the grapes is what Bibiana is talking about. Is is about that that aromatic maturity when when it tastes and smells the way you want and, it to, and, and, and that's what you're gonna. And if you don't get there. You can never get it in the glass because you can't. That doesn't just happen. That is not. There's no like magic that you can and do. And think in the of how different there. it is all over Sonoma County, from Carneros all the way north where right. you are. And what Sammy is saying, we don't talk enough. But from the moment you prepare the soil to plant a vineyard to everything that we do through the growing season, you are you are intervening on those vines. You right. are managing whatever is your sense of aesthetics and purity and balance and your economics because it's so expensive. So, it's, you know, the, the conversation is not as simple as I buy from these three vineyards and I blend it. Uh, and I do not believe that a great wine is made by a magic winemaker blending these no. wines because they have this palette. I mean, yes, of course, we have to have a palette. But I was training in France in the vineyard, and I yeah. always, I need to go to the vineyard. I need to go to that place where I center myself, and I say, is this looking right? And are we doing the right thing? And we don't always know if we are doing the right thing, you know? And when you talk about honesty, and like, the conversation is always about what is your focus? Are, are you trying to make a great wine? What is your price point? How are you being honest with your customers and with yourself and with the people that work for you? And, and all of these more deep conversations, you know. And so what was the, what did they do with that information that you provided? So at the end of the study, what did they do? Yeah, so one of the conclusions was we need to put the, vi the vines, which was a 80 years old block. Wow, <laughs> no way. The second conclusion was you need to change your reception because the reception at Aubryon was very basic. Ooh. But the chateau was designed long time ago by one of the mm. most famous winemakers at Aubryon that nobody knows their names because in France you never know who's the winemaker. Right. We don't matter. Winemakers are, we are nothing. Um, you are very lucky if you can work with the fruit you get to work with for your whole life. Right. That's, That's so strange. A, a winemaker in France is just considered uh, it's nothing. the biggest difference between the, yes. the uh, French wine industry and the mm. California wine yeah. industry is the, the celebrity winemaker concept you know these star winemakers that doesn't really exist in France at, at all. It's it's about the vineyard and the place that it's made. Yeah. The star and is the land. Star yeah. is the land. The yeah. star is the chateau. The, the domain. It, yeah. it's, That's it. And everything yeah. else is you know. And it's in California where there isn't that same lineage that we had to find something else to. Well, it's so much new yeah. too, and right. the winemaker really has a huge impact in California. I mean, I see it all the time. I see it through consorting, through the wine jobs I have done before. The winemaker really has a big impact. And at the beginning, I was like, who cares who's the winemaker? And then I started working in California. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, can't, I make so many decisions that are really making this wine what it is because we're still very new. I mean, we don't have 600 years to 1,000 years uh -huh. of vineyards. Right. We haven't gone through all uh, of that uh, no. selection, you know. But to answer your question, say, was the reception needed to be changed, which now is different. Um, uh, they needed to, they put off that block. And I really think that it was to not use the small berries, which at the time was impossible to think. Right. And uh, now mm. Sam is telling you these optical machines, it's like, no big deal, boom, boom, right. boom. Yeah. They are out For in a God. second. Anything that doesn't yeah. look perfect is right. a little, like, little, little puff of air. Boom. So wow. Gone. 
So then you decide. Right. So you, you've worked at, uh, in Cote Roti, you're working in um, uh, uh, Bordeaux, and then you say, I want to go either to California or South Africa, right? Mm -hmm. So in France, I was really brainwashed to only believe that France produce wine. <laughs> kind no. of. No. The yes. French said that? No, uh, I can't believe <laughs> kind, kind. And uh, at Should one I point. Should I take a French wine to lunch? Is that the thing? Or? I'm drinking Campari at lunch. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so then I just say, you know what? I want to go and see the new world. So everything that is not Europe, right? <laughs> and did you have any family in the United States? Uh, so I have an aunt that lives in Seattle. Okay. And I actually, in 1998, when I was going through this, thinking of how I'm going to get into wine between chemical engineering and business uh, administration, I went to Seattle for six months to think and to learn English. Yeah, what did you actually do? So I <laughs> went to school. Drank Rainiers <laughs> and hung out. I was allowed to drink wine at the house I was staying because mm -hmm. I wasn't 21 yet. Right. Uh, and not out of the house, but in the house. Um, and I just really study a lot English, just kind of. Um, and I read a lot about wine in the in the USA, and I went to Chateau Saint-Michel. That was my first vineyard oh, right. before I went to France. Yeah. <laughs> that, but that was, was that the first vineyard you'd ever visited? Seen. Yeah. Wow. All right. And you were not 21, but... No. And the vineyard in, in, that, in that range, they buy all, a little younger. Bit younger. <laughs> they buy all their grapes from over in eastern Washington. They don't have a vineyard at Chateau Saint Michel. I don't believe. Well, uh, when you go to the winery, you see there oh. is a vineyard around. I mean, at the time, I this is so long time ago. And yeah, Chateau Saint Michel, it twenty plus years ago, was a very different place. Than it is now, as far as what they own and the size of. I mean, now right. they own Pat. It's just like a giant company that owns a lot of ton of brands, ton of land. Yeah. But probably you know, twenty years ago was almost the beginning of that too. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So yeah. I yeah, so I decided to go to. I wanted to go to South Africa, Australia, and California. So and I why came South to, Africa? Because uh, South Africa, Australia, and California produce Syrah. Okay. And at the time, I, I really have been a huge fan of Syrah. You know, it was a big heartbreaking moment when I came to the States and Syrah was so disregarded. Right. Right. And you brought a Syrah. I brought a Syrah for, yes, for lunch and for now to taste it. I really wanted to taste it. It's a beautiful Syrah that I make from, and we can talk about the wines. We are talking too oh, yeah, much about me. But I, Well, uh, I, I love your website, first of all. It's beautifully done. So whoever did it, Please give them congratulations. Which one? Which one is Catalea. Oh, of course. Um, and it's it's a born in Colombia, trained in France, creating in California, pouring her passion into Catalea. Yeah, Be beautifully done. No, the, the branding in general is amazing, and I, I and I think that that is all you and is the the labeling. Are you in charge yes. of uh, uh, picking the labels and? So and I'm very involved on everything, which is uh, is becoming <laughs> a little bit of a challenge because I I'm really I'm a vineyard manager, winemaker by trade and by training and by passion. But when I started my business uh, in 2012. I really started with 25 cases, one barrel from the Syrah that you're going to taste. And that is a Syrah that comes from my in-law family in Santa Lucia Highlands. I am married to Jeff Pisoni from Pisoni Vineyards and Winery. And uh, mm. 
uh, a little place in California. I, I'm kidding. Uh, really known <laughs> Pinot Noir producers, especially his dad. Talk about the rock star, yeah. Gary Pisoni, totally. And I love, I, just, I love going to Nepenthe. And just looking at the list of oh, uh, the Gary's list. On, amazing. Um, and then you sit in there and you're looking over this wine list of mostly things you can't afford, looking at over this view that you really can't afford of Big Sur. Uh, and Nepente? And, and okay, Nepente. Yeah, but, and that's, there's, I, can't even I don't know what the connection is. I mean, basically, it's the house it's wine. It's like and it's, because basically wine. it's like right over the hill, just a big hill from, from the coast, right. where Nepente is, you know, in the heart of Big Sur, over the hill to where, you know, the yeah. Santa Lucia Highlands. Uh, Love but, it. And they... I actually sent people from my tasting room there the other day because they just opened Highway One, reopened yeah, right. it from last year's slide, so you can drive all the way down to drive all the way to Santa Barbara. So, yep, such yeah. a magical place. And when I started my business, Jeff is born and raised in the United States, so he was born in the farming community. They are entrepreneurs. Making business is so natural for Jeff and his brother, but not for me. You know, I was trained in France to be the winemaker for a place forever. Right. So when Jeff mm. is like, Viviana, you really should be making your own wine. I will give you a ton of fruit. I'm like, no, no, no. I was fighting it so bad. And in 2012, after we just got married, I decided to start uh, a consulting business because I really, uh, I'm a very transparent person and I love to put everything on the table and to give to owners the beauty of what they have. And I think sometimes winemaking is so subjective that it becomes a little bit of a nuage for owners. <laughs> so they don't really know sometimes what the winemaker is doing or why they are doing it. And I disagree a little bit with that because I believe it's so much about the place and your commitment has to be with that place to make that place exceptional. And it takes a lot of work. So that was my philosophy. I was trained for that. So when I start here and Jeff is like, Bianca, you should really be making your own wine. I'm like, what do you mean, you know? <laughs> so to answer your question about the labels, I do everything. I have a label designer, but I can drive him so crazy. Like, we are redesigning, actually, the Catreja label. It's going to be coming new next year. And believe me, we have been eight months. And I keep saying, like, can you bring the appellation just one millimeter high? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I swear, I think he's almost so ready to drop me. And I'm like... Just hang in there. We are just getting there. It's almost done. But that's how you know you have a good winemaker. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. I love when winemakers are so into details that a millimeter on the vineyard designate or the appellation on their wine label makes a difference to them. Then you know that they're using those same skills in making the wine, and it means that much to them. Well, and, and the way I think about it is, you know, the millimeter difference on the label is whether or not you care about those you know the shot berries the chickens and the hens whatever right. you want to call it right. you know those those little time you know so starting that uh, you know the perspective uh from a, a french training where it's about the site and and that kind of level of detail that you know a chemical engineer brings to the process and then obviously you know a sense of of creativity and flair you know it seems like a pretty good uh, pretty good DNA for winemaking. Well, and let's not forget. So bef before she starts her own label, so she's she's worked at Oprion, uh, Domaine Michel, uh, La Crema, Aubon Clement, Paul Meyer, Coupe, Linmar, Paul Meyer, Jason. Right? Yeah. You 
Getting a pretty good training. Getting Do you around. ever work at shitty, <laughs> shitty wineries? Yeah, do you ever say, I just want to take a break else. and then go work for uh, <laughs> insert name here? Uh, when I went to France, I thought that I was going to go back to Colombia and make wine in Colombia. So really? That was my first departure. I really wanted to make wine in Colombia when I live. Thinking that you would grow grapes, start a vineyard, and actually right. make wine in Colombia. And that I would be all by myself. But Colombia doesn't have seasons. So as soon as I came to France, winter time, and we are pruning these vines on miserable winter with the snow on your boots, and it's just so freezing cold. I, I never dress enough in France for <laughs> the winter. I was always freezing. Huh. So I go there, and I'm like, oops, we don't have seasons in Colombia what I'm going to do. And I really just was fascinated about making exceptional wines. I, I have never been a massive producer winemaker and I have nothing against it, but I'm too obsessed about the details. So I could not be a good winemaker for big productions because it I would drive everybody crazy. I'm no. so like, I can see things that would drive you crazy. Mm. And uh, so I always wanted to learn from the best because I thought I was going to be alone in Colombia and that I would not have anybody to get my back. Wow. Which is not true. I have so many people that is supporting me. Well, at this point, but if you're yeah. thinking that you're going back to Colombia and yes. it's going to be people, that, you know, the, the industry is, you know, there's no real wine culture, then yeah, you need to know everything, everything. from yeah. A to Z about making wine. Yeah. And that was yeah. something that I love when I worked first with Stefan Auger, in Cotroti, so one of the most difficult uh, areas to Name farm dropper. grapes. And I, I wish I'd brought my my Viognier skin Ooh. 2015 Syrah. I didn't know there was this coat roti thing. I might you have one. one. You might have one. You might have. I, it was in your spring club shipment. Doesn't mean it's still around. No, I think <laughs> we, we might have killed it. But. So when I um, when I went to work there, you would not see too many women um, in the vines and. I told Stefano J, I really want you to treat me equally. Like, I don't really want to even be called a female worker or a female anything. And Stefan was my same age. So he didn't care. He was like, okay. Yeah, here you go. Up. Here you go. So well. in, in Cotcoti, you hedge everything by hand. And oh I'm God. not at all. But how could you drive a tractor down this fucking hill? Yeah, yeah, so it's by hand. Yeah. And uh, I would still talk in meters, but uh, normally you hedge at 1.8 meters. I'm a little bit shorter than that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's always above your shoulders. So you are always carrying these long scissors above your shoulders. And for Stefan, or for, you know, for a man, it's not that difficult because shoulders are one of the muscles that are the most developed on male compared to females. I mean, a woman can have it totally if you train for it, right. but when you haven't done it. So I got to the videos and he would go for fancy lunch, come back on his ATV, hello, BB, how are you? And I'm like sweating, exhausted. <laughs> He's like, do you want to oh, know what God. I drank? Latage 1989. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, do I really need to hear this Did you right bring now? me a glass? What the f uh, so it was a lot of that. And he never cared. He allowed me to do everything. Uh, sometimes I was like, is he going to realize that he should not be asking me for this? Uh, but I would not say it. And it was just such a great experience because at no point he backed off on the experience that I should have because he wanted me to learn and he knew I could toughen up and do it. Yeah. Um, so I, I really chose the most difficult vineyard 
to work my summer in France, and I was very thankful for that. There was never this conversation. It was, this is the job to get done. We are a small family-owned business, and we just have You're to very lucky in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Really. I can't imagine that uh, an internship at Aubryon was not a grueling place to work too. I mean, a place that, it, oh. that, I mean, it's a different kind oh, of. Oh, Sam, it was amazing. I would say definitely my craft is so defined by my experience yeah. at Aubryon. I mean, in one harvest there, right? In, so I was six months with them. Okay. So it was that's harvest that's through February, which they normally don't keep interns that long. Uh, and normally they don't let you really touch the wine that much. We were <laughs> in the lab all the time. And when we were talking about the experience, I said, like, well, what am I going to do in the lab? I mean, that kind of, like, sucks, you know? It's like, I want to be hands-on, right? You were mentioning it before. Yeah. And uh, one of the beauties is they analyze everything so much, and there is so much of this sampling in the vineyards. You look at the berries. <clears throat> we do all of these phenolic analyses that you really are understanding everything that is happening in the cellar without doing it. And that was a, a pretty amazing experience. And then it's... From the person that touched the grapes to the person that do a racking, and I did a racking of the wine. That means you pass the wine from barrel to tank or from barrel to barrel. Those three months that normally they don't let interns to do it because you cannot lose a drop of wine. It was such an experience when you are talking. A drop or something. Yeah. <laughs> when you are talking about uh, perfection on the craft of making wine and their pride and the way everything is done at Aubryon yeah. is hard to repeat. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, I have seen it in other places, um, but from the person that greets you at the door, that the landscaper, the person cleaning a bathroom, the person touching the wine, you just learn yeah. this sense yeah. of Everything. It just teaches you as a human person. I mean, everything. It was just yeah. amazing. I, I, I was. I felt extremely privileged yeah. after I finished the, inter the, the, the internship that I work at Aubryon. So sure. basically, you worked at the hardest vineyard you could have possibly worked at, and then the hardest winery. You and then the hardest. And you know, I, I keep saying Aubryon, but Aubryon and La Mission Aubryon are owned by the same winery. So I work for both. Uh, okay. Aubryon and La Mission, and my thesis was one block at uh, Aubryon and one block at La Mission Aubryon. Uh -huh. And during that time of doing my thesis, I got to make uh, and taste <clears throat> their white wines. Oh, and those Sauvignon Brown Semillons <laughs> are to die for. Uh, we're going to have to get a crane in here to attach I, Brian's uh, lower jaw to the rest of his head. You know, honestly, <laughs> I had no idea that they even made white wine. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. One of the most expensive white wines in the world is the Chateaubriand White. Oh, I want some. <laughs> I want some. Now, I love that. And, and we talked about this actually. Something new at the Sante yeah, list now? Yeah. Oh, oh, the, the Sauvignon Blanc right. Semillon blends are, are some of my favorite in the world. It's, it's one of yeah. the sort of least underappreciated, under, un, you know, totally. under... Under understood, that's not a word. Uh, white wines around. Let's yeah, yeah, let's do that. Well, let's it's talk. I'm surprised it's actually Brian didn't break into uh, the Chardonnay bottle of Chardonnay that was sitting Sorry, I've been listening uh, intensely. I know here. you're clearly focused because he didn't um, we're just drooling over the <laughs> and, Chardonnay the whole time. And we definitely want to talk about these labels because they're so beautiful. They're they watercolors yeah. of, of orchids, which are is the Colombian national 
flower. Correct. It's beautiful, like Thank California you. has our California poppy. But these watercolors are beautiful. Who did these for you? So my label designer is my printer. They, really? Yeah. So they have one of the members of the family is a very talented uh, yes label I agree. designer. And he's the one that actually, the first label he designed for us was the project my husband and I, we make together, which is called... Shared Notes? Shared Notes. That's when I first met you. Yes. That's what you were doing then. Mm -hmm. And the Shared Notes wine, talking about Sauvignon Blanc Semillon, we make two very expensive white Sauvignon Blancs. <laughs> no, they are not that expensive, but uh, they are on the higher <laughs> price point. <laughs> I mean, it's not all Brian. <laughs> it's okay. They can be expensive. We don't mind that. They are below $100. Brian will still buy That's some. Cheap. <laughs> That's cheap in comparison. Uh, but uh, he made those labels for yeah. us. And then yeah. when I came with the Alma de Catrella project, which is my newest label. And tell us what, what Alma means. So Alma means the soul. Okay. So it's the soul of Catrella. And many people, when they go into a lower price point, many wineries, they tend to create a new brand that is not attached to the main brand because right. you want a lower That's price point. That's the way it is. You don't want to water down the, the main brand. Right. But right. You don't, that you are worried. And one of the things that happened to me is my broker in California wanted me to create a label that would allow them to be more out on the market with my brand. Uh, I have always been very focused on high-end wines, so the most expensive wines are $70 a bottle, $100 a bottle. Some of my clients, $300, $400 a bottle Napa wines. Yeah. And they were like, it would be so great if we could have a wine that we can show and have by the glass and have everywhere. So they asked me to do this, and at no point I said, if I cannot put my name on it, I will not make anything. You know, it's not about... I don't make wine for a business. Maybe I should think a little bit more no, of the business part. No, you make it for part. yourself. But I, I'm so passionate, and I, I'm always thinking about being so honest with what I do and trying to show the people what I love about wine. So we came with the Alma wines for uh, Sonoma County ABA, and we are doing now Napa Valley Cab, um, just the Napa Valley ABA. We will not do single vineyards or that because that's for Catrella wines. Um, Brian, she has two Chardonnays. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Russian River Valley and Pratt Vineyard. Right. Right. And so what are we drinking right now? Is the So we are drinking the Alma de Catrella Chardonnay 2016 Sonoma County. Okay. It's a blend between seven different lots, uh, different clones, different parts of mm. Sonoma. So it's Sonoma Coast, Russian wow. River, and a little bit of Carneros. And we had 25% of New York on that. So we aged everything on oak barrels and we bottled at, oh, I like that. <laughs> nice noise. Uh, and we bottled everything at our family winery in Runner Park. Where in Runner Park? We are the only winery in Runner Park. Yeah, I live <laughs> in Runner Park. Park. So Runner wait a minute, yeah, where, where are you? He's going to be there all the time. Yeah, next to the casino. <laughs> really? Oh, okay, over by the casino. Yeah. So stopping at In-N-Out or Amy's? Which uh, do you prefer? In-N-Out. Okay. <laughs> I knew I liked you. Everybody prefers In-N-Out. <laughs> a hamburger with meat in it, yeah. But are you still are you still making wine for Paul Meyer? No, I'm not. So December was the last month. Uh, I worked with them for six years. Yeah. And it was amazing. That's enough. But, I mean, not enough or, or too much. I just think uh, Alma and Catrella and Chernotes, I have two boys. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. 
And all my projects, again, I'm a one person. I'm a one person. My business only have one employee. That's yeah. me. But obviously, my husband's winery is where we make everything. And his team is amazing to me. So they support all my work. Um, I have amazing brokers and three distributors. And I had a part-time office person that helped me. But I do everything. And it just became so huge. And as everybody in Sonoma County and Napa, the fires were devastating last year and it just really makes you stop and think and be like okay what are you doing i mean i'm i'm obsessed about work i'm a workaholic that's for sure i love wine i love my family and i love projects i love vineyards so when you put a vineyard for me and you say like do you think you can do something exceptional i just go so dive in it's almost obsessive and at one time you need to take some perspective and breathe and recharge and I'm doing consulting but not with the intensity I was managing the teams I was the vineyard right. manager in the coast I was a winemaker for Wayfair I took over as of director winemaker in Napa but I love it I love making Napa wines I'm I know who, uh, our friend Kale Napa. Anderson I think um I don't know what exactly his uh, role was there at Palmyra as well, or even if he's still there. I know he's making his own uh, kale yeah. wines. Yeah, he was there before me, and I took over Napa from him. Okay. And then uh, in December, uh, I uh, my associate winemaker at Wayfair became the winemaker for Wayfair, which was my whole purpose. It was to right. mentor somebody to to be full on, uh, because I was a consultant, so I was not an employee. Right. And how did you meet Ann Moller-Rack? Oh, that's a great uh, uh, story. Thanks to Wine Spectator. <laughs> so in 2010, I think, um, Wine Spectator made an article about Pinot Noir, and um, that has the 2009 wine reviews, uh, and I was a winemaker at Lindmark. So that was the year that the state vineyard at Trinmar became like one of the 20 best vineyard sites, as per Wine Inspector, <laughs> on yeah. their article. And Donham Estate in Carneros was another of the 20 Pinot Noir. So when we went to the a party that they do every year that is called the Magnum Party, I met Anna and we both had the picture on the article so we recognized each other and mm -hmm. we became really good friends. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I love Blue Farm and I love Donna Wines. She's amazing. Yeah. We'd love to have her on the show. She's not a big um, social uh, media person. She's a um, busy woman too, but she she's, is, she's yeah. so great. Yeah. I love what she has done for Carneros. And yeah. she, again, she's a very vineyard focused person. And you're sourcing some of the fruit from the Donham Vineyard, some of the Pinot for one of your wines. I Only believe. two tons. It's super tiny. They don't sell any fruit and the focus of the property is to really be all estate. Yeah. Um, and then the block that I'm sourcing from is quite old, so I think it will be pulled soon, so I might not be oh, no. uh, oh. getting any more of that, but uh, I love what they are doing. I'm a huge supporter and Anna and I, we always find ways to work. Yeah. Uh, now, why other. are they pulling it? The age getting old, and then you are losing vines, and okay. uh, your production goes and yet, lower. And Morgan Peterson is working to save vintage so, I mean, the, wineries. The, the, the historical vineyards, though, vineyards. Um, based on 
you know, what they, you know, there's certainly not a lot of the historical vineyards are going to be Pinot Noir. Yeah. Uh, right. Because Pinot Noir vines don't necessarily have that kind of lifespan. I'm, you know, the old ones I can think of. Do they even, yeah, there, is there even any old, the Ambassador Vineyard at Hanzel, I think is all, all that stuff is Chardonnay, right? Um, you know, it, it's just, and the economics of farming a Pinot Noir vineyard yeah. are really different than farming a, a, an old vine, you know, even Head Cabernet. Vine. Um, and, you know, when you start to lose vines, and then yeah, you have this point where right. you start to lose vines. And production um, goes down. Well, it's not it's even it. that. It, it's because you can replace the vines. You can always replant, and, you know, you do that every year. There's always, you know, tractors and gophers or whatever. You're always going to lose a vine here and there, and you replace those vines. But especially fire. with Pinot Noir, fire, yeah. although we're pulling out all the burns, anything that had, anyway. Um, when you have vines that have, like, sort of drastically different ages with interplanted, you're going to have a whole lot of problems with, you know, sort of, uneven ripening mm -hmm. those vines the younger vines are going to ripen in a totally different way than those older vines and and so it, it, there's an economic side but you know a place like donham somebody like, like animal rocky or, uh, you know obviously um those considerations that the the flavors the the inconsistency that you're going to get from the fruit is going to be the the prime consideration you know it's not like those those wines you know the prices that they're at they don't need to be maximizing yield. Right. And then yeah. even if they don't pull it off, they will need more of the fruit because the crop is going lower and lower. Right. So at one point, buying two tons of fruit don't really make sense. And one of the things that I'm also seeing with Catreja wines is the demand is growing so much that all my single vineyards are 50 cases, 60 case production. And as good as it sounds, and we all love to say I'm sold out, it's becoming a problem. You got to have Be wine to sell. Yes, <laughs> no, you I have understand. to have wine that people yeah. can taste. So yes, this Prato Chardonnay can be amazing, but how many people can taste it? So I, this year I have been focusing so much on looking at new vineyard sites, trying to grow some of the blends, looking at new blends, uh, because I love make wine. We yeah. go back to the same thing. And... Uh, we really have a lot of wines that are just less than 100 cases. And why, besides the Santa Lucia uh, wine, most or all of your wines are Sonoma County-based, correct? County, yes. So I'm born and raised Sonoma County kid, so I love that. Why are you such a proponent for Sonoma County? What do you think is different about Sonoma County? Yeah, I love Sonoma County. So when I came here for the first time, you mentioned La Crema, and I didn't know anything about the Californian wine industry when I came California, to be honest with you, a little bit like I didn't know anything about Aubryon. Yeah. And actually, I didn't know anything about Paul Meyer when Jason contacted me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I'm always just so focused on where I am. And Sonoma County has been my focus maybe on the last 10, almost 15 years. And I just love what the weather does on the fruit compared to my benchmarks. And obviously, my benchmarks are French wines. Right. And I feel like here you get all of these different exposures, the ocean influence. You can be on the Sonoma Coast, but you can be on the Forest CVABA, which is going to be very different than Petaluma Gap. Right. And understanding all of these nuances and how farming can be refined and improved, and the acidity that we get on the wines. I really drive my wines by acidity. Sugar is not a conversation for me, even yeah. though I know a lot of people talk about sugar and alcohol, but acidity. 
Right. It's for me what drives the purity and the vibrancy of anyone. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that because yes. I am an acid-driven <laughs> wine drinker. He's um, an acid. You head. have to have it. Well, I acid I head. want when I take a sip of wine, and not just when I'm selling wine, but when I'm drinking wine for myself. I either I want the wine to make me want another glass or to want food. And acid is what is making those saliva glands uh, well, in your mouth. Let's talk about water. the rosé of Pinot Noir that we okay. opened first. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Gorgeous wine. Thank you. Gorgeous wine. I love it's, making that wine. It's yeah. beautiful. Um, Pinot Noir, as we have been talking a little bit, is on the higher price point of fruit in Sonoma County. It's like the Cabernet Sauvignon for Sonoma versus Napa. And making a rosé of Pinot Noir is not an easy task. So we do whole bunch uh, press, and we do a little bit of saignée from our Pinot Noir tanks if we are doing any saignée from there. And it has opened up so much now. We've been on the air almost an hour, and um, it's been sitting here, and it's a different wine Mm -hmm. than when we first opened it. It was very cold. Now it's not, and, and it's... You know, uh, Sam, I I noticed at your place at the tasting house, sixteen six hundred, um, that you let things open up. You didn't necessarily serve the Viognier chilled. No, you want it to open up, and it's, it's so many flavors you don't discover if it's freezing cold. Right. And you know, look, uh, cold wine um, when it's really cold, you can pretty much drink anything. If, if it's hot outside and you have a cold glass of wine in your hand, you're going to drink it, and that's fine, and that's great. And it's great to have cold wine that you can chill the heck out of and serve all the, and, you know, on the poolside or on the patio, or whatever. But you know, when you're when you're making wines, you know, like these wines that Bibiana's making, like like sixteen six hundred, where you're you know you're talking about a site, you're talking about. Um, you know, trying to get the best fruit and make the best wine out of it. It doesn't matter if it's rosé or if it's white wine. You, uh, you're making serious wine that, you know, let it come to temperature. Let it sit in a glass and, and open up. Uh, you know, spend spend an hour with a glass of rosé, kind of like, you know, we've done with, with Viviana's exactly. rosé. Uh, just like you would if it was a bottle of, say, I don't know, Aprion. Um, <laughs> and and if, if it can stand up to that... If it's going to change in a positive way from that experience, then it's a good wine. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'll say this again and again. I, I don't know how many times I've said it. We drink our, our white wines way too cold, and we drink our red wines way too warm. I think the red wines should be tempered down a little bit, and the, and the white yeah, wines... Um, I had to stick a red wine, a Pinot, at a restaurant in a bucket of ice the other yeah. night. Yeah. Because they're letting it sit with the air conditioner off and it's hot in there. Yeah. This is a good way to ruin wine. Yeah, it so. doesn't make it uh, easy drinking. So, Brian, since you are our expert on Chardonnay, <laughs> what do you think? Of- I don't know how I became the expert on Chardonnay. I've been, I was in a Rhone world for eight years, buried like an ostrich with his head in the sand. <laughs> Going I'm, home and drinking Chardonnay every night. No, 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 no. On the other hand. Drinking Marsan, Rousson, Viognier, Grenache Blanc. And um, what, what did you just order from... Uh, well, okay, so uh, see, and, and that's the in, thing. F- in trouble from your wife for buying from Bob She Cabral. doesn't know yet, oh, you guys. She's, 
so, he's donating. He's donating to charity. Everything. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Can you say that again? And, and uh, Maria, Maria, can you hear this? <laughs> donation is all charity. He's Proceeds. not. He's not buying it to drink wine. Right. No. And no, and it's going to charity for kids. And so yeah, I did pick up some all of Bob's schools. Chardonnay, and it's a yeah. hundred bucks a pop. And awesome. um, and and I'm and not saving it for maker. a special occasion. I'm going to drink it on a Tuesday night, and, and I'm going to love it. You heard on the At podcast. Two o'clock in the morning. Seventy-five thousand dollars for his imperial at auction oh, yeah, that went right that. right to the schools so and awesome. they, this is money that schools would never ever imagine seeing yeah. Yeah. And, that's amazing yeah. and then they went out and they bought gift cards to target yeah, and, that was and awesome. starbucks and yeah. th- this is a man who really enjoys what he's doing yeah. very yeah. much like you do yeah, you know. oh, we are oh, the passion Absolutely. comes through. It does. Jobs. Can we talk about um, so so where I've been um, showcasing your wine on my Instagram account is because I've been picking up the Sauvignon Blanc and the Rosé at Costco, mm-hmm. and and I remember when I was a wine buyer for the Girl in the Fig. Sometimes I would people would come in, some of the reps would come in, and and I had been buying the wines at Costco, and they would come into the restaurant and say. Oh, you know, I know they're selling this at Costco, but, you know, it's this great wine. The, for example, the Gerard Bertrand, the Côtes de Roses, I think, is one of those wines you get for 10 bucks at Costco. I think it's one of the best deals um, on the planet for wine if you're just an everyday wine drinker. But for some people, they, for some reason, there was this stigma if your wine is in Costco that, that it means that, oh, yeah. you're, you know, that, that it's cheap and crummy. And that is not, I can tell you as a wine buyer who goes to Bottle Barn, who goes to the Rhone Room, who goes to Sonoma's Best, that Costco is one of my best sources for wine. And I was concerned that they were not paying you enough money for your wine. But you're saying they're, they're actually offering a fair price for the wine and they're still at in some way selling it for this incredible price. I'm getting yeah. your wines at this price that I can drink them every day. And yeah. for me, that's what it's all about. So how, how does that come about? So one of the interesting things, I'm a very small producer, right? I mean, Catrella wines. total caseload? So for Catrella wines, every single wine that you see on a restaurant or at small shop is made below 100 cases. So anything that is wow. Pratt Vinger, Donham Vinger, Soberanes Vinger are $70 a bottle retail. And they are only made at 56, 60, 75 cases a and year. all single vineyard. All single vineyard. And then my Russian River blends are 150 cases and 200 cases. That's so little. Yeah. When I came with the, the Alma project, the idea was to make a little bit more of wine. So we make 500 cases. We made 750 cases of the Sauvignon Blanc. Still is tiny production. All of this is considered way below tiny. Uh, this, the Chardonnay is 900 cases and the Pinot was 1,500 cases. So the Alma production maybe would total 5,000 cases a year. And the Catrella wines are 600 cases a year. Well, that's a small batch producer. It's still, when, yeah. When you're talking 800,000 to a million and a half cases oh, a year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, this that's, is tiny. Yeah. tiny. Anything under 10,000 is but still is considered perfect. a small producer yeah. according to the federal government. So 5,000 cases is half that. You know, That's I mean, what we like. So yeah. what happened is I have an amazing broker. Uh, they have been representing my husband's wines for 20 years in California. And the day I bottled my first cereal from the Sovereignist Vineyard, that was only 25 cases, not even, 
it was one barrel, so I made maybe 22 cases. Right. Wow. After you fill it, the little loss, and then you right. spill one on the bottling line. Yeah, 20, drink a few. 22 cases. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. First run, last run. Yeah. Friends, go family. Home. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now it's 18 cases. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we were setting the wine on that three borders pack, and they, they didn't... They didn't even wonder about it. They say, Bibiana, we would show your wine on the market. But this was so tiny, you know, they would go to one restaurant or one shop. And then when they really are uh, very successful, they are, on, they are two partners. And uh, one of the partners asked me one day, can you do a wine that we can sell more? Because we feel like with your name and your reputation and the quality of wines that you make, we could really find a niche for a little bit more affordable wines. Yeah. And one of the owners uh, chose, I mean, they sell importers, books. I mean, they have big portfolio. I mean, it's not a big portfolio, but they can have a wine that is imported by a Spanish importer. and Like uh, they a can Wilson Daniels. So they have these connections with uh, places like Costco. And she showed my wines to Costco. Like, I didn't know. And then she calls me and she's like, well, Costco won, da 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 And I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's like, that's like, I mean, they could have got way more than could my you, entire yeah. production. Can you supply them? So I say to her, uh, well, I have this, you know, and then, but we have all of these placements by the glass already. Right. So, you know, I, I'm so, I'm such a small producer. You really don't, I'm not a big player. I don't look at cost of goods. I don't have a team of people that just look at all of this. So I said, like, okay, so let's just do 100 cases for Costco. And then they just sign everything. And they pay me more per case. Outstanding. They probably I love pay me hearing that. More, like 30% more than any retailer or any restaurant paying for their wine. Wow. And you're getting the wine out there. You're getting it into yes. everyday people's mouths that yes. wouldn't normally get exposed to yeah. that wine. And then these people, as we call it, uh, they go to Costco and then they write to me. Say like, can I come to the wine and buy two cases from yeah. you? I really want to be connected to yes, you. And you they can. become, <laughs> you, of course. And then they become your, uh, your customers. And uh, yeah. one of the things that we want to do with the Alma wines, and you know, everything takes so much time, but we really want to make it around the community of Sonoma and Napa produce. So we will create a wine club. We will be doing things where people can come, enjoy the beautiful Sonoma County we have, and really be part of my philosophy of wines. When I say 100% Pinot Noir, that rosé is 100% Pinot Noir. Right. I do not blend any other varietal. I don't oh, dilute so, my so cost. Good. I don't try to cut corners. 100% red Pinot Noir is 100% red Pinot Noir. And as Sam knows, at this price point, and for being legal with TTB, you can still put 15 to 25% of varietals and other appellations. Other and vintages, I don't do right. So, and, and how do you make a Pinot for, I think, I mean, your Alma de Catalia, the Pinot is it's fantastic. 30 bucks, right? 28, yeah. 28 how the retail. hell do you do that? I work very hard. Yeah. <laughs> and she, she has no employees, doesn't pay. She, she doesn't have the profit <laughs> model of Costa Brown. Oh, yeah. I, I have to learn that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sell your winery three right. times. Um, yeah. So, are, is the, the, are the wines available? Is, I know Costco it's like some regional, some national 
purchasing are the, your wines available just is it like the costco and santa rosa and nevada or is it north california northern california so they okay. are in a few costcos on northern california but you know the reality is they only buy like one or three cases each of them huh. uh, and as soon as they will be sold out of it's what gone. we committed to uh, we are sold out so like the sauvignon blonde I released it in February, and we didn't even start the summer, and we are sold out. And actually, Sante yeah. wanted it, and I'm like, oh, you see, that's the only thing. Like, so Sante <clears throat> will just have to make a commitment next year, earlier. Yeah. Uh, Note to self. Note. Note to self. <laughs> Note to Mark. <laughs> um, yeah. So that is, like, you know, and I, I, one of my philosophies, too, is I'm first come, first serve. And I have seen many times the game of allocation. We are all allocated, and we do this. And it just seems to me like there is this pressure. The customer feels like they have to take it, if not, they are out of the list. And you are making these crazy spreadsheets to figure it out. So I decided, I made the wine, I put it available, whoever wanted, take it. And if you didn't come and got it first and you don't have it, then mm. next year, come earlier. Common sense. Yeah. So just that's like buying tickets to a concert. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm doing. You know, before I, I was like, well, I only make 25 cases, which really allocated. And then you have, you know, we have our chair notes wine um, is, for example, at single thread on the tasting menu. Nice. And if single thread wants to buy the entire production for chair notes, let us on the Metro 2014. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah. yeah. Is chair notes any larger than... No, chair notes is between 50 and 100 cases per wine okay. every year. Nice. Well, that's so, beautiful. It's a familiar model, John. It is. Yeah. It's exactly what, what we like. That's what we, that's what well, and Bibiana, how... And so if someone wants... I brought a Pinot and I brought a Syrah. Do you want to... Can we bring the Syrah to lunch? Sure. Right. We um, are going to uh, shout out to uh, um, Sondra Bernstein and the girl in the fig. Um, you took me to lunch there last time, so... Today, I'm buying lunch. Thank you. And nice. I, I owe Sam and, and Brian a lunch anyway, and Joan's coming along. So I think they got a little uh, sync on the list. Uh, uh, you know, really? John's, on, yeah. John's on the record as paying, so... Right. Uh, I also said if we go nuts, I may need some help <laughs> on the wine, but, you know, who knows? So. Well, Viviana, if, if um, someone wants to try not the Alma de Catalia wines, but your other wines... It, is there a plan or do you have a tasting room or how do you get um, get people exposed to the yeah. wine? So everybody can buy the wines on our website. So chairnoteswine.com mm-hmm. is for chairnotes. Catrellawines.com is for C-A-T-T-L-E-Y-A. Cattle, yeah, for people who don't pronounce things. Perfect. Cattle, well, cattle, cattle yeah, YA. Cattle, yeah. I was yeah. putting an extra yeah. syllable in there. Cattle, put the wrong yeah. syllable on the wrong emphasis. Yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> and then the Alma de Catrella Wines, the website is ADC for Alma de Catrella Wines. Okay. So people can buy them from the website. We do not have a tasting room. We are only open by appointment. And Wait, so what does that mean? You don't have a tasting room, but you're only open by appointment. So that means you come to taste with me at the winery. <laughs> with you. In, a small table. In Roner Park? Yes. But that's okay. That's you should, Brian's like, going to book you out for the rest of your summer. And so, and so, every no, time no, the set, all morning Set the long. scene for me. So this is, it's, it's probably like a kind of a warehouse yes, space? Yes, it's a warehouse that uh, my husband's family um, changed into a winery. Right. 
So you and come and and we meet you and we're sitting in a in a warehouse and uh, you pull out some nice glasses table, and a very nice table, right? But you get to see it. It's really the real deal. You know, you come to the winery where we make the wines. It's a very small winery. We don't produce more than three thousand cases there for right. all the wines together. And uh, the real well, deal. Five, five thousand, six thousand, including Alma. And you come and you know you can see the facility, but we just taste the wines and. The challenge is I have been doing all of this by myself. So I was like, you have to be on the mailing list and be a purchasing okay. person to come. Uh, I am actually now having a person that is going to be helping me with tastings by appointments, which I'm very excited. Okay, nice. It's okay. such a great step. So let's, <laughs> let's <Believe me. laughs> go yes. back over all the wines and all the websites again okay. on how people can get your wine. Sure. So the Alma de Catrella wines... The website is adcwines.com. Perfect. Catrella Wines. Which is what we are drinking right now. Yes. Yeah, beautiful. And we have a Rosé of Pinot, 100% Chardonnay, and 100% Pinot Noir red wine. And then for Catrella Wines, it's C-A-T-T-L-E-Y-A wines.com. And Chaired Notes, which is the only project my husband and I, we make together, is ChairedNotesWine.com. And Chaired Notes is Pinot and Syrah or? 100% Sauvignon Blanc. All Sauvignon Blanc. There you go. Uh, yeah. I'm feeling bad. I should have brought it. There oh, it's go. so amazing. It's all right. We, Brian. You know, we can only bring so many wines for And Brian. I'm going to brag. You can only get it at a single trade, French laundry, red. Yeah, I was going to say, if you, if you go to Bibiana's website right now, it's funny because... <laughs> everything says sold out, sold out, sold Not out. Everything, but no, the, I think you can get some Syrah. Yes. And I think there's a little bit of Pinot left. And then, and then there's despite uh, it all, Syrah is never sold out. I know. Oh my gosh, and, and we have a good, production. we have yeah. a good friend who works at French Laundry. <gasps> Ian Blessing. So FOP, friend of the program. Yes. And so <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we can work with him and see what we can do. Huh? What get some of Bibiana's wine from there? Him? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they they do. Well, they just they do. Got no, the they do. Yeah. yeah. You know, at That's the end beautiful. of the show, we want to just make sure that. Everybody knows how stunning these wines are. How much, how long you've traveled to make this, and the passion that it has taken to push yourself to make these wines. Thank this, you. This good. Well, thank you for this promoting point. them. Oh, my for gosh. having me here today. We are, we are having uh, this. Yeah. We enjoy this. I mean, it, this is this has been something that has been very good to us, and. Um, now we get to go to Girl in the Fig for lunch. Guys. And shout out to our what our listener Dave Hayes out there who Dave Hayes. every time we put out a podcast goes, God damn it, there's another wine I have to buy, another place right. I have to li- visit right. when I can add to that list. So this is uh, adding to you know. And we, if we, you're coming to Sonoma, this is should yeah. be on your list. Make an appointment, yeah. go hang out in Rona yeah. Ro- Park, <laughs> go to the casino, go to the casino, and then go hang out with Brian and go to uh, go to Mer- menthols in two in the morning. Stop by at uh, Mercy Wellness. Oh, there yeah. you go. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and you can shout out to Mercy street, Wellness, right? You can always some of that uh, David Banner. Yeah. You can always talk to us via the website of winemakerspod.com. right? And uh, we can make sure you get to the right places when you're in town. No, and I'd like so. to say hi to uh, Melanie 
um, down in Paso Robles. She sent us a nice email the other day. So oh, she's yes. she's in the process of still trying to take over that vineyard. She's having a little trouble with funding. She liked our show last well, week where we talked about women-owned wineries. Should we and, um, hook them up then? Well, what I'm thinking is, yeah, we'd love to get Amy and Melanie talking yep. and maybe doing some sort of crowdfunding um um, event um, so that we can get Melanie secure in, in her situation down there I in Paso Robles and, and get her it. making wines. And shout out to Tackett Family Vineyards yeah. for everything that they're doing. Um, uh, again, like to uh, mention some of our friends. I know that Jordan Kievelstad has a winemaker dinner coming up at Sweet D, and so does uh, Kale Anderson. And the Idells this weekend. Ah, yeah, the Idells. Cool. So them. if anyone isn't familiar with uh, Susan and Richard Idell, they. they they do make a little wine for themselves, but mostly I think sell off their uh, fruits to, uh, to some of the yeah. some of That's the higher end Chardonnay thing. producers. Um, I want to get a shout out to Mark, who's my psalm at uh, Sante for doing tours. Anyone that uh, is coming to Sonoma and you want to do tours, and I think maybe we can add Bibiana onto the uh, stop. I, th- I think Absolutely. because it's a tour that's guided by psalms, and you're going and to smaller close places. To your is, that house. The, is that the Wine Zulu thing? That's wine Zulu, and it's right. uh, Wine Z O O L O O. And Mark, generally, what we do is take people up to uh, Petroni, um, go to Cayman, go to Repri. Uh, the other day we went up to Corbin, Corbin Cameron, who is now uh, that was the Corbin Cameron, yeah. Uh, which you know the house burned down, and um, but they've got an airstream up there, and they've got a little trailer, and, and it was one of the for me it was actually so I enjoyed it more not having a pool and a house up there because you're up at the the top of Trinity Road, you're looking one side at Sonoma Valley, the other side you're looking at Napa. And there's nothing to distract you. All it is is you're sitting on the top of this trailer with an umbrella over you with beautiful wines in front of you, beautiful wow. view. And the only thing you're thinking about is is, is the wine. Right. You're not thinking about, oh, these people must have a the lot of money. And they have this the, beautiful yeah, house and all that stuff. It, it was very wine-focused. And I actually think I probably appreciated that. Was tasting. Corbin there? Uh, Corbin wasn't there, no. Right. Um, Corbin's been off uh, a little MIA for a little while. Well, um, he's, he's, you know, school and... Right. Yeah. Right. So I think that's what it was. Um, um, but if you want to do a cool tour where you just go to, you know, off the beaten path places and hit Moon, Moon Mountain, I think is definitely one of the spots that you want to get to. <laughs> of course. Um, uh, you can go to winezulu.com. Um, nice. Yeah. And any. Uh, and I got a, I got a shout out. Artie Johnson with the Le- Artie Hajik uh, Rosé project that he's doing. That I brought the bottle of. Please talk so, about so it. So yeah. this is. Uh, I was going to ask about He's doing. This. Uh, all sing- uh, an entire ro- only rosé, only single vineyard rosé. Today I brought the uh, it's a Grenache Syrah Mavedra blend. One percent Syrah. Well, you know they yeah, threw well, it in there so you I can say GSM. Uh, sometimes that's all you need. Oh, but though, I love right? it. That's I mean, exactly. It's, it's, sometimes that's yeah. all you need. You know, yeah. GSM blends. Man, yeah. And this is it, and this man. is single vineyard. This is Shake Ridge and Kramer's amazing vineyard up in Amador. Yeah. Um, he's also doing a Tempranillo, a uh, an Alicante war- Boucher, uh, and it's this cool label. He's he's worked at Mayacamas. He came from like the Miami wine scene as a psalm. Now he's working with his his wife's family is the Staglins. Um, so I can't even a, imagine cool what I, can you imagine what the Miami wine scene is like it's, as a you song. Know, oh, I'm sure you know. Do you, do you are you able to button your button up uh, <laughs> past your uh, neighbor? No, I'm, not uh, you know, I, I think it all depends on the time of year or something. I don't know. Right. It's, well, you know, it's oh, basically yeah, the same maybe. seasons as Columbia down there, right? Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 summertime <laughs> all the time. Dangerous conversation. Yeah. How many how many gold chains do you have to wear to be a psalm in Miami? Uh, you know, he's he's shed the chains and hanging out in Napa hike and well you know and this 
I love this. I love his label. It's it's very arty. No, the, the wine's uh, good. The wine's good. It's so very. Yeah, it's very check it out. French. It's, it's, well, it's fun, you know, and it's fun. It's just like it's very French, but it's a little. It's a little over the top. It's um, you know, oh. he does only. He does a little bit of wax on top of his cork. Uh, no foil. Uh, you know he's and he's having fun with it. It's a great it's a great project. So oh, check that I out. Like the uh, Wine X Y Z on Instagram. It's a it's a worthy follow. You know, other right. than you know, there's cute pictures of his kids as well. Um, and I just put out on Facebook the to promoting Friday's release of this show, and I linked it to your website and the story about you. So, Bibiana, thank you so much. I think this is actually just about the longest show we've done. Oh, they keep getting longer. Pretty soon we're going to be like Levi, uh, Levy Dalton and Joe Rogan with four-hour podcasts. (laughs) Right. No, we will never become Artie Lang. I will not do... A show with a long cord from the couch. With I a still glass I, see. You know, I, I can always hand. do a longer show. I still have more questions. I was telling Bibiana, my best friend growing up is from Colombia, from Bogota. Then so, Bibiana comes um, back. Yeah, uh, we, I feel like we just barely scratched. The I want to talk about arepas the, 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 and aguardiente, and I want to oh, oh music, and I mean I can talk about Colombia uh, for. Oh, for it's such hours. an amazing country. Yeah. I have to say, I mean, we are at the end of the show, and if it's not because I wanted to make wine, I would have never left Colombia. I love that country God, so I'm much. Glad you People did. is so. Oh, thank you. People yeah. is so amazing. You know, my husband is obviously born and raised in California. When that guy goes to Colombia, oh my, everybody just want to please Jeff. Sometimes they didn't even forget about me. I'm like, <laughs> I am the family no, member. No, no, no. Why is it about Jeff? And he's like, what Jeff wants, he has to try this. They just, we have so much fruit, so many flavors. Oh, People wow. are so warm yeah. and so happy yeah. with so many simple so things. So a shout out to your husband. Yes. Jeff. Okay. Yes. And, and actually, finals? I've heard a great uh, podcast I think it was a 99% invisible, all about the rebirth of, of Medellin in the last few years. And it, you know, awesome. the, moving past go. sort of the, the history and, you know, everybody knows about that. But uh sounds like a great place to visit. So that's oh, my shout out. Yep. We just yeah. added another freaking you know place what? for me to We visit were talking about like Ian Blessing. Closing. Uh, Ian, he was just there. He's he was there, in Cartagena. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, so amazing. So my husband oh. and I, we married. Twice. We celebrated twice. One in San Francisco and one in Colombia, in Cartagena. Nice. Cheers on yeah. that. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, let's Mary go get some twice. food. All right, let's go for All lunch. right, we're out of here. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for your reviews and all the five stars we're getting. And thank you for listening to The Winemakers. And I'll say the same. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Bibiana. And thank you, Brian. We will see you guys next week. Thanks, Bibiana. Thank you. Yep.